Well, good morning, Bayou City. Uh, my name is Kevin Barra. I'm the uh, Tomball campus pastor, and I am so excited to join with you this morning and bring the word. Uh, Curtis is on vacation with his family, so be praying for him as he is soaking up the Midwest sun and uh, enjoying some time with some family in that area. Um, but if you have a Bible, we're going to be finishing our journey through 1 Thessalonians together. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, I'm going to read uh, starting in verse 11. So if you have that Bible, go ahead and grab it. Let me read it for us, and then we will, we will start. It says this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves, and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the Lord, may the God of patience himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Would you pray with me one more time? Lord, I pray that as we open up your word this morning and we look at what, it, what you've called us to do in being unified as a people, um, I pray that you would give us wisdom, you would give us insight, and you would give us the power of your spirit so that we might be unified. Thank you so much for your word. I lift up this time to you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Well, it is Independence Day weekend, and I hope you had a great time watching uh, people shoot off legal fireworks. Uh, we did sparklers uh, it, with our family there, and it's been a great time. And it got me thinking about um, my first trip to Boston, um, journeying down the, uh, the history of the Revolutionary War, Revolutionary War history, doing um, really the Freedom Trail. And I remember the first time I went there, I was visiting my friend's family uh, in Boston, and now my friend's, my friend's family was from England, and his mom loved to give tours of Boston to anyone coming. And so I'm, I flew in early. I got up extremely early. I get off the plane. His mom picks me up at the airport, and she says, now come home. I want to show you Boston, right, in her British accent. And she puts me in her car and starts touring me around Boston, giving me a, a very ironic perspective on Revolutionary War history. And so we went to Boston Harbor and she'd be like, now there's where you threw our tea into the harbor, right? And we went to Paul Revere's house, you know, that warned um, one if by land, two if by sea. We went to his house and said, there's where he, he was there. And then we went to the old North church. He goes, yeah, that's where he went up and that's where he warned you we were coming. You know, it was this extremely ironic history lesson from this British woman, and it was absolutely hilarious, and I love it, and it got me thinking about this time and this season where we're actually celebrating um, 
our Independence Day as a nation. And it got me thinking about some of the words from the Declaration of Independence. In that document, it says this, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You see, at the time, the nation was very divided. You had 13 colonies, kind of all with their own agendas, and they needed something to unify this people to move forward in a new direction. And they centered themselves around this document, around this declaration that, that we believe that people are equal and that, that through the, the endowed rights of a creator, we can be free in a new way. And so it unified this nation. And I got to thinking about us as the community of believers. What unifies us? Well, we do have our own king. It's, he's a benevolent, perfect king, Jesus, who is ruling and reigning over everything. We have a benevolent, perfect king, and we're part of that kingdom. Uh, we are citizens of his kingdom, and we are brought as a new family together. And, and he actually declared freedom to us. Everyone who is lost in sin can have freedom from the power of sin through faith in Jesus Christ. And then he calls us to live life together. And he tells his disciples in the upper room before he would go to his death, he says, look, I'm, I want you to be unified. I want you to be unified and the entire world will know that you're mine by the way you do one thing, by the way you love one another. And the reason I start there is because when we get to this point in Paul's letter, he is He's closing out his letter and he says to this church that he's been, he's been praying to, he's helped plant it, he's helped lead. He's saying, now as I leave you, I want you to be unified. I want you to carry on the marching orders of what it looks like to build unity in this community. And unity is complex. And in this section, he gives us three major ideas to walk through in how to build unity alongside one another. The first is this that I'm going to give us. The first that he gives us is this, to build up one another. Secondly, to follow the Lord. And thirdly, to hope in his finished work. In verse, starting in verse 11, he tells us that we first must build up one another. Here's what he says. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you have been doing. He uses two great words. First, to encourage one another. And that word in the Greek is parakaleo. It means to come alongside and to call up by name. It means to come alongside one another and, and to call out each other's work in order to, to build them up, to edify. That second word, edif build up, means edify, like to build in a building. He says, I want you to come alongside, call one another out, and build one another up. Well, why? Because people give their best when they feel known and encouraged. People give their best when they feel known and encouraged. And Paul says, look, I want this community to be a people that speaks into one another's lives and calls out the best. And the truth is this, death and life, according to Proverbs, is in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. And we've all experienced this. Where a positive word can send us soaring, and one negative word can send us sinking. One positive word, word you can think about it back where you were in, in college. 
Maybe you're walking down uh, the hallway and some, some cute girl walks by and says, hey, nice shirt. And you're just like, thank you. Thank you. I'm never going to change this shirt again. You know, it's like you're soaring from that positive comment. But some negative comment can send you sinking. All of us carry the wounds of some misplaced word or some misplaced comment that meant nothing to the person but wounded us personally. And so what Paul is saying is I want you to use your words very carefully. I want you to use your words to build up those people beside you. And he gives them two relationships to look at. He says, I want you to look at the people above you and I want you to look at the people beside you. And he starts with the people above us, the leaders above us in the church. He says in verse 12, we ask you, brothers, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love. But it is also, what's interesting is that Paul doesn't lay out pastors and elders with this statement. He doesn't say, uh, go to the pastors and elders and, and honor their work. And there's a couple reasons for that. This is a young church. And it's possible that elders and pastors were not established as leaders in this church. And so what, they, what Paul is saying is, I want you to look at the people in the community that are doing two things in particular. They're, they're working hard and they're teaching. I want you to look at the people beside you that are working hard and that are laboring to teach you, and I want you to do two things. I want you to recognize their work, and I want you to honor their contribution. I want you to look at the people caring for you and recognize their work and honor their contribution. Uh, We've been in a tough season right now in Bayou City, and that we... We love the fact that through technology that we can worship together, but the challenge with that is that it can become difficult to recognize the work of the church alongside of you. But I just want to let you know that in order to pull this thing off right here, this moment, it requires a ton of work. There's people working behind the camera. There's people working in the sound. There's an amazing worship band that is leading us in worship. There's, there's pastors and leaders praying for this moment. There's elders that lead this church midweek. There are community group leaders that are leading groups on Zoom. See, this entire church, even though we are having to meet um, in, in, with separation and social distance, there's a lot of people working hard to serve you in order for this whole thing to happen. And, and honestly, as a community, it can sometimes become difficult to see it and to celebrate it. So Paul is saying, look, I want you to look at those people working hard, and I want you to see their contribution, and I want you to esteem them highly. He actually uses an interesting word in the Greek. He basically slams three words together where he says, I want you to super, super honor those people. I want you to highly honor these people that are working hard among you. And let me tell you what, I'm, I'm new to this church community. I'm so thankful to be here. And because I'm the new guy, I actually wanted to just look in as the new guy at what this church is doing and give you some things to celebrate. And if we need anything in this crisis at this time, we actually need some things to celebrate. And so I asked one of our pastors to send me some some stats for us. And so for those of you that like stats, you'll love this. The things that we have done as a church right now that obviously, honestly, many of you have been a part of, Um, are this. First, we have been helping the vulnerable in and around the Houston area. 
one of the ways that we've been doing that is through mask distribution. Um, Together as a community, we have helped distribute 13,172 masks to vulnerable communities around the Houston area. If you are at your home, now is the time to start clapping and cheering about what our church gets to be a part of. Uh, 13,172 masks. There have been 15,000 meal donations. 15,000 meal donations. This is what your church is helping to, to do. We've also been helping um, healthcare professionals. There are, we have done 4,114 masks and, and caps. We have done 1,200 care packages, 807 meals to the healthcare professionals, and 72 of those that have been adopted. We have, as a community, in this crisis, leaned in. And let me tell you, that is worth celebrating. And I'm not trying to pump um, the, the wind behind Bayou City. I'm trying to say, look at what the Lord is doing in the midst of this community. The leadership of this church has created a space where we are caring for one another. And, and I'm, let me tell you what, it is worth celebrating. It is worth honoring those people that are working hard to help you and to help this community. But even beyond that, I just want you to think about a moment. That there are many moments in life when you are under authority. For all of us, um, there are times when we are under authority. When, when we are under our parents, or we're under a boss, or a professor, or a community leader, or a coach. There are moments when we are under authority. You're a citizen. You're an employee. You're an organizational leader, your son, your daughter, your niece, or a nephew. And I want you to think about your word count for a moment. In those moments when you are under the authority of others, what's your natural response? And I think if you're honest with yourself, you're like most of our community, where we like to point out problems more than we celebrate contributions. And Paul is in this moment saying, I want you to look at those people laboring alongside of you, above you, And I want you to honor their contribution. I want you to use your words carefully. I'm going to brag on my daughter for a moment. Um, A little while ago, um, I have four amazing kids. A 10-year-old daughter, um, an 8-year-old son, a 6-year-old son, and a 4-year-old daughter. And and my oldest daughter, one moment, we were driving. And uh, the kids had actually been crazy that day. If If you can imagine four kids going crazy, that was my family. They were going absolutely insane. And and my daughter said this to me. She goes, Daddy, how come you're so patient with us? And immediately I thought to myself, I have deceived my daughter. Like, that's what came to mind. Uh, and then I go, baby, what, what, do you, what do you mean? She goes, you know, we've been nuts. You know, she owned it. And she's like, um, but you've been so patient with us and caring for us. And I, she goes, why? And I said, honestly, sweetie, it's because people above me have been so patient with me. And so I want to be patient with you. And you know what that little comment did for me? It made me want to be a better daddy. Her little positive words spoken into that moment made me want to be a better daddy. What is your word count to the people above you? Proverbs 16.24 says this, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul, and health to the body. We have a responsibility to build up those people above us, but we also have a responsibility to the people beside us. Verse 14 says it this way. It says, We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, 
Encourage the faint-hearted. Help the weak. Be patient with them all. See that no one repay. Help the weak. Be patient with all. See that no one repays evil for evil, but always seek the good. He returns our, our eyes to the people beside us. And we all have people beside us that actually we need to have encouragement towards. And he gives some interesting words. He says, firstly, I want you to warn the idol or admonish the idol. And it's a really interesting word in Greek. The word warn could mean to impart understanding, to set right, to have a corrective influence on someone, or to lay out the heart of an issue. I mean, it's a really interesting word that to, to warn or admonish one another. It means that you come in and you show them where they're going wrong and you bring corrective words to them. See, the healthiest groups self-correct. The healthiest churches self-correct. I remember when I was in high school, um, I ran cross-country. And if any of you have ever run cross-country, you realize that... Um, the coach would tell us, hey, I want you to go run, you know, eight miles. And so we'd be out there on our own in the middle of nowhere for a long time. And, and if you're ever running eight miles, there's a deep desire to walk when you're out there by yourself. And, and so we'd be out there um, completely just exhausted. And, and there'd be some people that would just start walking and you just, you, you hurt so bad and you want to walk. And, but there there's be some leaders, a part of the team that realize that if these people keep walking, we're not going to win as a team. And there's kind of two ways you can approach the corrective moment. You can either say, you're an idiot and, and, and go that way. Or you could come alongside and encourage them to go forward. And that's exactly what several of these leaders would do. They would be up front and then they would see some people walking and they'd run back and they'd go beside them and they'd be like, okay, um, hey, we need you to give more if we're going to succeed here. And they would circle around side and said, hey, we're going to walk a little bit with you, but we will now run beside you for the rest of this run. See, the healthiest groups self-correct. They come alongside, they explain what needs to happen, and so they encourage them as they come alongside. There's a second piece they do. They comfort the discouraged. See, there's always moments when we can become faint-hearted in life. I know during this COVID season, there's probably many of you that have been discouraged personally. It is the responsibility of us as believers to know our friends, know our, the people within our church, to give them a call, give them a text, encourage the faint-hearted. And it says, help the weak. And that could mean either morally or spiritually weak. And it means the responsibility of the believers is to come alongside and, and to encourage, to build up, to help us when we're feeling morally or spiritually weak. And then lastly, it says, be patient with all. And literally that word means to be long-suffering. To being long-suffering means we suffer a long time alongside. And really, as I look at all these descriptions, it reminds me of of an amazing community. I mean, can you imagine being part of a community that sees the needs, sees the hurt, moves in, helps, encourages, builds up, helps one another? And as I thought about it, it reminded me of a silly computer game I played growing up called Oregon Trail. If you ever played Oregon Trail, it's a, I'm, I'm sure it's over with and done by now. Um, but in the game, you're trying to get from the East Coast all the way over to, to Oregon on the West. And along the journey, you're in a covered wagon. It's kind of an old-timey game. 
And, and what ends up happening is you're traveling with your family on this covered wagon to Oregon. Um, some, something happens. I mean, like Sally, Sally gets bit by a snake, and you're like, oh, I'm so sorry, Sally. And, 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 and if you're playing it like me, you're just kind of like shedding dead away. You're like, Mama got the fever. Sorry, Mom. And you just kind of keep on plowing forward. And, and what ends up happening is if you keep on like shedding the people uh, and letting them die along the ride as you're going... Um, you start going faster, but what ends up happening midway through the game is that you get sick. And when you get sick, there's no one there to care for you. And so what I've learned in life is that if you go solo, you can go faster, but you cannot go further. And if you want to go further with the community of believers, it means this, that we come alongside and we encourage and we build up and together we get to accomplish a lot more than we ever could alone. I was talking with some um, college students um, a little while ago and, and they were asking the question, what is the purpose of the church? And I said, well, th- there's a difference, um, if I can use a military analogy, between special forces and army bases. See, special forces are, are made up of people for specific missions to accomplish, and they're great. But an army base is a lot more robust in what it offers. Um, an, an army base will have um, education, training, medical supplies. It has a lot more that it offers. I said the church is less like a special force and more like an army base. We care more broadly for the people around us. And when we're doing it well, when we're encouraging the people above us and helping the people beside us, we go a lot further together. But Paul then turns the lens again and he says... Um, But here's what's going to happen. As you do life together, there will be something that arises within the community, and it's conflict. See, if you actually labor alongside one another, and if you actually lean in together into the church community, what will inevitably happen is that conflict will arise. And that's what he says in verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to anyone to one another and to everyone. And so here's what's so amazing about this moment in the letter is he says, I'm assuming misunderstandings and hurt feelings. Welcome to church. <laughs> See, and here's, here's what some of us have experienced. The reason some of us have never experienced conflict within the church is because we've never leaned in deep enough to rub shoulders with one another. But let me just tell you, people of Tomball, I'm so excited to join y'all. But I will disappoint you. And I'm sorry. I will say it on the front end. I'm sorry. I will do my best to meet all of your needs and care for you under the Lord. But I will tell you this. I will disappoint you at some point. Why? Because I'm going to lean in close enough so you really get to know me. And I'm not perfect. And what we need are people that are going to lean in even if it creates conflict. And he says, I want you to lean in, but I don't want anyone to repay evil for evil, and I want you to seek the good. There's an author, Eric Geiger, and he has an amazing way of kind of describing what this could look like. He says, what we need are thick skin and soft hearts. And he kind of goes through different ways that we could interact with one another. He says, you could have a thin skin and a hard heart, But that basically just means you're jaded. 
If you're thin-skinned and hard-hearted, that means that, that everything that comes against you hits you deeply and, and, and you're wounded quickly, you're jaded, you're expecting something to go wrong. You could also have thick-skinned or a, and a hard heart, and that means you're hard-headed. That means you're a bulldozer, and I'm sure you're a joy to be around. You could also have thin skin and a soft heart, and that means you're always wounded. That means whenever anyone says anything, it hits you deeply and, and, and wounds you deeply, and so every comment sticks deeply in your heart. He says, or you can have a thin, thick skin and a soft heart, and that means you're resilient and compassionate. That means if someone says something hurtful, you let it bounce off quickly. You move on quickly. You have a thick skin, but you have a soft heart. That means you move into people and say, well, maybe they're having a bad day. I will lean into this community, and I will seek the good. That means you're asking the question in every interaction, what is the highest good? And the reason Paul lays this, this out for how we should interact with one another in a community is because this is the picture of Christian maturity. See, when I was younger, um, I assumed that maturity meant independence, meaning freedom from responsibilities. But as I've gotten older, I've actually grown to understand that true maturity means that you take on the responsibility of the lives of others. You see this as a parent, but you see it perfectly in the life of Jesus Christ. When he says, greater love has no one than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends, he leans into the community, taking on the responsibility of their sins to make us new. So this first section, we have a responsibility to one another. But secondly, we have a responsibility to the Lord. And he goes on in the text to say, in verse 16, this amazing triplet, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, nor despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. He moves into this section, and he starts it off with a triplet. Here's how I want you to respond to God. I want you to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. And as I read that text, and I thought about teaching you this morning, I was like, many of you are going to say, Kevin, you're insane. We are in the midst of a pandemic. We are in the midst of a financial crisis. There is social unrest. There is political challenges. All of these things together. And you want me to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. The Bible, you are unrealistic. <laughs> but I think these words are exactly what we need. We need to rejoice always, even when it's difficult. I came across an amazing quote. It says this, the optimist proclaims that we live in the best of all possible worlds. The pessimist fears that it's true. I love that quote because it's so ironic. Uh, the, the optimist feels thinks that this is the best of all possible worlds. The pessimist goes, oh no, this is it. This is, this is our future. Masks forever. But here's what Paul is actually saying. You can find joy in the Lord. 
See, this triplet shows us the will of God. If you ever wondered, what is the will of God for my, my, my life? He says this, to rejoice always, to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. How can we have joy? It's because we are in Christ. The world may be chaotic, but we are in Christ. So we rejoice in the fact that we are in Christ, that our God is in control, that he is real and active in the world. We rejoice that, that even though it may be chaotic, we know that our Lord is leading us. We rejoice in our relationship in the Lord and what he can do. And we pray without ceasing. That means that we, as we rejoice in the Lord, we look and we say, Lord, there's a lot of work that's needed here. Lord, I'm praying because we need you to move in this place. And so we look into the world and we say, there's a lot of pain, there's a lot of need. And so we get on our knees and we pray. We pray because I don't know how to respond in this situation. We pray because I don't know how to rejoice. We pray because I don't know how to encourage. Lord, we need so much wisdom from you in this place. C.S. Lewis says, I pray because I can't help myself. I pray because I'm helpless. I pray because the need flows out of me all the time, waking and sleeping. It doesn't change God, but it changes me. We get on our knees and we beg God and he says, and we give thanks in all circumstances. I love that it says, in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. We give thanks in the circumstance because we know God is real and will speak to us. You see, as we get on our knees and we beg the Lord to do something, I believe, we believe as a church that the God of the universe still speaks and he speaks in two primary ways, through his word and through his people. And that's why he goes on to say, as y'all are praying, do not despise prophetic, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, but test everything, hold fast to what is good. See, we believe that as we seek the Lord, he will speak to us. He will guide our steps as we seek his face. And it's possible, it, it says don't quench the spirit, meaning don't throw water on the work of the spirit. Literally, don't put out the flame of the Spirit as he moves in and amongst your people. And it says specifically, don't despise prophetic utterances. Now, what, what's that referring to? Well, in, in Thessalonica, there was a lot of uh, pagan temples that had their own prophets. And so it's likely that in Paul's day, um, the, the prophets would speak and, and the church didn't want those people coming in speaking those false prophecies. And so they may have silenced all of them. That's a very uh, realistic possibility. But what Paul is saying is this, that God speaks through his people. And in, in the Bible, we see that the church is built on the work of the prophets, as Jesus is the, the cornerstone, it says in Ephesians um, 2.20. It's built on the work of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus is the cornerstone. And you see, often in the New Testament, there were people that spoke words of wisdom into the community. And he says, that's going to continue to happen as I guide your people. You're going to get together. You're going to pray. You're going to seek my face, seek wisdom. And I'm going to speak to you through my word and through your people. And here's what you need to do when, those, when people start giving wisdom in the community. You need to test everything. 
And we test everything by the word of God. And if we, it aligns with the word of God and is leading the community of believers, he says, you hold fast to what is good, but you abstain from what is evil. You test every word and you hold it. He says, as you seek me, I will speak to you and I will guide your steps. And in close, in the close of the letter, he says this, I want you to work on your relationships beside you. I want you to work on your relationship with me. And I want you to hold on to hope that I will build unity in this community. And he says how he's going to do that. Do it in verse 23. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. You see where our confidence is pointed at the end of this passage? He says, I want you to have hope in what God himself is going to do. How do you build unity in the community? We care for one another. We seek the Lord's face. And we hope in his finished work. He says, may the Lord sanctify you completely. What does sanctify mean? Well, it means to set apart, to make holy. See, you are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And salvation comes in a moment. But sanctification takes a lifetime. It's a lifetime of God working to, to regenerate over time your heart. You're regenerated in a moment, but to, to take out all of the old and to replace it with a new heart that loves him. There is a, a battle in our hearts that needs to be purified. And God does that through the process of sanctification. And here's the promise that he gives. God will do it as we are kept blameless, as he works in us into the coming of the Lord Jesus, he is faithful, he will surely do it. And I know right now, even in the midst of many churches across the nation and our church, there is conflict. There are challenges, and I'll tell you why. It's because we're not perfect. We're not fully sanctified. We're not all who we need to be under Christ. But if we lean in, lean in to one another, if we seek the Lord's face, he promises he will one day make us perfect as we lean in to him. And the question is this, for this is, do you trust his hand? Do you trust his hand to shape your heart into what it needs to be? Do you trust his hand as he is shaping this community into who we need to be? Um, I was a runner back in the day, and I, I got a knee injury at one point um, that I just couldn't get fixed. And I went and got MRIs, I went to doctors, and just couldn't find out what the issue was. And, and eventually, I went to a massage therapist, a guy named Willem. And he lays me up on his table, and he's, he takes his hands, he starts kind of mashing around on my, my quadricep muscle. And he finds all of these knots, like all up and down my leg, all up and down my IT band and, and quadricep everywhere. And he says, hey, um, over time, you've built up a lot 
of injured tissue in here. He's like, I've got to work it out. And I'm like, okay, Willem, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, it means it's going to hurt. I'm like, well, how bad? He's like, pretty bad. And so over the next month, I would go to him two or three times a week. He would lay me on his table, and he would just take his elbow and his forearm and just start working over my leg. And, and I remember laying there on that table. At one point, there's sweat pouring off my body, and it hurt so bad. Um, I, I couldn't even cry, so I just started laughing. I'm just laughing as he's just driving. And he goes, he goes Kevin, are, are you okay? And I'm like, I just didn't think it could hurt this bad. <laughs> But over time, as I trusted in his hand to make me into who I needed to be, eventually I became healthy. You know how God changes us into the community we need to be? It's oftentimes through pain and conflict and disappointment and heartache. But God never wastes a pain. He uses everything to shape his community into the glorious bride of Christ that will welcome him at his return, that will be excited at his return. He uses every pain to shape us into the people he most needs us to be. Do you trust his hand? Well, in closing, I want to give one major application. And it's really the application that Paul gives at the end of this letter. Kevin, what are you calling us to do. Well, I love being part of this community because this community is centered on the Word of God and prayer. This is all about Jesus. This whole church is about Jesus, and, it, and we are centered behind the Word of God and prayer. You are part of a praying church. Paul says at the end of this letter, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss talk about that later. I put you under oath before the Lord. Have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He says, at the close of this letter, what am I asking you to do? Pray. Pray. As everything has been stirring in our culture, um, as elders and staff, we've come together and we said, Lord, what are you trying to teach us? There's a lot of pain and challenges that we're all facing. What are you trying to teach us? And we became convinced as a leadership group that the Lord is wanting us to get on our face and pray. To pray without ceasing. And so I'm going to give you a couple opportunities that are coming up. The first is this, that this week we actually want to model and obey the command to pray without ceasing. And so this week, if you can go onto our app, we will give you a prayer point every day this week to be praying for. And so as a community, we want to call us to prayer, that we will be praying for one another and to follow along every week that we will be praying together. And on July 26th, we are going to do a Zoom call uh, with our entire Bayou City community for the purpose of prayer. And I can't think of a better a better response to the call of God in this community and in this time that we as a church would come together and seek his face that he might change us to be the people that are unified to where he most wants us to go.
So I'm excited about those opportunities. I'm excited to see you in those moments. Join with us in praying. Let me close us in prayer now. Lord, thank you for your word. I thank you that you've called us to be a community that celebrates the leaders above us, that cares for the people beside us, a community that that knows that you're a God who speaks and will lead us. And Lord, we know we are excited for the day, Jesus, when you return. When you come back and set everything right that has been so deeply broken, we are excited for that moment. But Lord, until that day comes, you've called us to be a people that prays. And so Lord, over these next this next week, and Lord, when we get together and pray together, I pray that we, you would make us into a praying people. Because God, you are good and we need your guidance, especially in the midst of the global crisis we are facing. So God, guide us as a community, knit us together, help us speak the truth in love. And I pray that as Jesus prayed, that the world would know that we're his disciples by the way that we love one another. Make us into a holy community. Just hear me pray. Amen.